Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, we're going to be schooling ourselves with the help of another journalist, Jack DeLeo, who uh, writes for Freight Waves and Modern Shipper. Uh, so in the world of indoor positioning, RTLS, auto ID, logistics is front and center uh, as an industry that is driving demand and is a key part of implementing systems. There's a lot to learn about it and some pretty cool stuff going on in warehouses in the last mile. Um, some buzzwords that we're going to be demystifying and explaining uh, with the help of, of Jack. So hope you enjoy the podcast. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot, intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. So, Jack, welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This is part of a, a theme that we've had where we um, maybe move, take a step back from hardcore uh, Bluetooth technology and the details of RTLS and actually look at what some of these uh, tagging technologies are, are used for and try and understand our our customer. And I think one of the best ways of doing that is talking to people whose job it is to actually cover those uh, industries. So um, you you work for, uh, you write for uh, Freight Waves and Modern Shipper. What um, you know what are what are the personas? Who are you writing for? What's uh, tell, tell us a bit about who uh, you have in your mind when you're writing your pieces? Sure. Uh, you know the people that Freight Waves typically reaches are you know people in the trucking space, uh, supply chain operators, C-suite executives. But uh, you know I I kind of center my work on on the modern shipper brand, which is more focused on the last mile, uh, warehousing and distribution, fulfillment, and things like that. Um, so I think that my work sort of reaches a little bit more of a broad audience. Uh, we reach a lot of delivery drivers, gig workers, uh, folks who work in warehouses or in retail spaces. Um, so those are those are kind of the folks that we are talking to a lot. Um, and you know, they are. There's a lot of problems that are are facing the space that I'd love to get into. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into it. Um, you know, what are some of those problems that are being uh, dealt with. And I, I kind of see it on in two halves. There's the warehouse and then there's the shipping from the warehouse. I don't know where you want to start, but e either would be fine from my perspective. Let's go ahead and start with the in the warehouse. Um, so I think one of the big things that we're seeing there is just this complete lack of capacity. 
Um, you know, there's there's been sort of this flurry of activity where you've got these uh, these big private real estate investors uh, buying up industrial real estate properties like warehouses, fulfillment centers, and things like that. Uh, and the market is just becoming you know flooded with these companies, and so it's becoming harder and harder for uh, for smaller brands to sort of expand their warehouse network and add new facilities. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, operators are also struggling to make use of the space that they already have because you've got this, this rise of e-commerce orders that is pushing demand through the roof. Uh, it's making throughput higher than it's ever been before. Um, so a lot of warehouse operators are stuck with the same amount of space, but maybe one and a half times, two times as much product that they have to move through it. So finding creative ways to, to make use of that space is definitely one of the big ones. And who is running the warehouses? Uh, is it like third parties who run warehousing as a service or, or how, how does that work? Uh, it can depend on the, on the actual warehouse. Um, I believe that um, some facilities will have other companies come in and sort of operate things. Uh, but mm. a lot of the times it is, uh, it's people who work within that particular company that are, that are operating. Okay. So um, there's a major capacity crunch. Uh, demand's going up. Supply is limited. How are um, how are these companies dealing with uh, with those pressures? Uh, yeah, they've they've had to get real creative. Um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing a lot is sort of this shift towards verticality in the warehouse. Um, you know, you can't can't always build out, so sometimes you have to build up. Um, and a lot of the space that's unused in warehouses is you know between the shelves and the ceiling. Um, so you're seeing a, a lot more people sort of rearrange their inventory um, to to be able to, to hold more in the warehouse. Uh, you're also seeing um, invent- or operators try to try to speed their inventory through the warehouse more, uh, so that less space is required to keep that. Um, you know, you you saw for a while uh, this trend of just-in-time inventory, mm-hmm. where um, they you know a brand will try to have their suppliers send them products uh, around the time when the consumer actually wants it. Um, there's been sort of a, a departure from that with the supply chain disruptions that we've seen um, just because um, it, it's less reliable to be able to, to have a product shipped on, on command. Um, so we're, we're starting to see uh, operators come up with different ways to, to speed throughput. Uh, and a lot of that is through automation and, and new technologies. And so you're building up. Um, that sounds a little challenging. <laughs> Stuff gets higher to the ceiling. How do you get to it? What are the technologies that people are using to uh, solve that problem? Yeah, how do you get to it and how do you keep track of it? Those are two really important things. Um, so the getting to it part, uh, you, you do see a fair amount of operators using uh, robots that are kind of shuttling up and down shelves vertically. Uh, to to pick and, and, and return objects. Um, you also see um, the use of overhead scanners and, and things like that more often. Um, a lot of times operators will will tag their products with, a, with an RFID tag or, or something like that, and they'll have an overhead scanner that allows them to get sort of a, a wider picture of where their inventory is spaced. Uh, so they can keep track of things that are both on the floor and uh, in the air as well. So... In the past, maybe they just scanned things when they were putting them away or they entered into the warehouse. Now they just want a continuous view, a real-time location system. Is that right? Right. 
So how does a robot get up and down a huge stack of shelves? I'm kind of thinking of something out of Avatar or Spider-Man, you know, uh, Dr. Oculus or whatever his name was. How does that work? Yeah, the, the kind of robot I'm talking about here, uh, it's called an ASRS or an automated storage and retrieval system. Um, uh-huh. So a lot of times that will look like um, robotic shuttles that will either lay uh, between shelves and run along kind of a grid um, so they can they can move between shelves that are tightly packed together. Um, and then you've also got the vertical dimension of that. Um, you know, a lot of times there will be Similarly, robots that kind of attach to shells and vertically um, are raised up to, to the product. Yeah, I've, I've seen these things and they're just amazing to watch. It's like a massive vending machine, but instead of potato chips, you have like a pallet of industrial parts that's being just whisked up in the air at incredible uh, speed. We have a a customer that's in the in the grocery space, and I just I thought I was looking at science fiction when I saw these massive crates and pallets full of uh, produce just flying up in the air and dropping down, and it's really really cool looking. And I and I guess you know this is um, you know it requires an operating system. It, there's there's a lot of uh, a, a technology there, and they must be pretty expensive. I'm assuming. Uh, yes, this is true, which is um, which is definitely one of the things that has held robots back from, from being adopted. Um, but there is um, sort of this emerging trend uh, that has begun to make robots a little bit more accessible. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called robots as a service. Um, so uh, a robotics company, think uh, like a Zebra Technologies, Berkshire Gray, Locus Robotics, um, they'll they'll offer their their AMRs or autonomous mobile robots. Um, these are the kind of robots that will um, move around the warehouse floor uh, and, and pick and transport inventory. Um, they will allow warehouse operators to almost sort of subscribe to the robots. Uh, they'll sign a contract for a year, two years, three years, uh, and they'll be able to use the service for that amount of time and they can pull out uh, when they need to. So there are becoming there, there are becoming more ways for operators to start to experiment with this technology, which is, I think, important because I think it's the way that the industry is going. Uh, those again are just fascinating to uh, to see zoom around as a uh, as a consultant. I remember visiting a uh, car parts warehouse that had these things in, and they would play music um, in order to so rather than just beeping at you if you walked in front of them, they would play music. I can't remember. I think it was from a major movie like Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. But it was the same bit of music <laughs> over and over again. So, yeah, yeah. After uh, So after like a week of there, you're like, I cannot stand hearing. It ruined the movie for me, unfortunately. Um, so how do these robots know where they're going? What's uh, happening in, in terms of that uh, part of uh, automation? A great question. Um, you know, for a long time, uh, operators used to use AGVs uh, or automated guided vehicles. Um, so these were robots that uh, they would follow like a set path along the ground. Uh, oftentimes it would take the form of an actual line um, and cameras and sensors would simply sort of follow that. Uh, now, today, the technology has become a lot more complex and a lot more intelligent. Uh, you see a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning being used with these robotics. 
machine learning in particular, I think is, is very interesting because, um, you know, there are, there are companies that they're able to sort of collect data from robots that they've already deployed. And because, uh, because of the machine learning aspect, uh, the robots are sort of connected with, with the, this kind of hive mind. Um, so they're able to teach new robots based on what the older robots have already learned. Uh, so each new iteration becomes more intelligent. Uh, you're, you're seeing really, really fascinating things like that happen a lot. Isn't it amazing how these science fiction concepts that maybe we saw in Star Trek, the Borg, or, or, or um, uh, something like that, and, and they, the, the ideas get recycled and actually used for something that's actually very practical. It's really cool. Um, so what else uh, are you seeing? I, I, you, you wrote an article recently about voice interaction. I was trying to get my head around why people would use voice in a warehouse. Yeah, I think it's really um, not even necessarily about voice, but about being more mobile, uh, being more hands-free. Um, so you've got you've got things like voice technology where uh, a worker will have a headset on and, you know, rather than manually recording all of the things that they picked, uh, they can just talk into the headset. Uh, and they can also receive commands from the headset telling them what to pick and where it is. Uh, but then you've also got things like uh, like handheld mobile devices um, a lot of times you'll see workers have these and they'll be connected into a WMS uh, so that you can view your workflow from wherever you are in the warehouse. Um, so you've got devices that they can connect to your wrists, uh, on your finger, over your head. Um, you've even got devices that can be integrated into like a forklift. Um, there, are, there are kind of mobile tablets, if you will, that can be mounted on forklifts for uh, workers to be able to access their workflows while they're on the move in that way as well. Um, so it's, it's a lot about, um, you know, minimizing the amount of downtime that, mm -hmm. that these workers are experiencing. And I'm, something vaguely sinister about it, the, 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 uh, the machines absorbing the human being rather than uh, the other way around. But um, you used an acronym there, which we should explore, WMS. What does that stand for? What does it mean? Ah, uh, yes, I should have explained that first. Uh, it's, it's a warehouse management system. Uh, this is basically the way that operators will keep track of their inventory as it's going through the warehouse, uh, as well as the, the way uh, a lot of the time that they uh, that they plan out their tasks uh, and assign tasks to different workers. Uh, it's sort of like your your base of operations, if you will. Uh, and who are the players in the WMS space? Who who, who makes them? Um, off the top of my head, let's see. Um, Manhattan is a company that that makes a really popular one. Um, mm -hmm. you've also got companies like Tompkins, uh, is one of them that has a WMS. Um, mm -hmm. there, yeah, there's just a bunch of them really. Uh, the space is, uh, it's pretty saturated actually. Interesting. And as you look at, um, you know, leaders in that space, you, you've talked about a lot of technology and I don't know exactly how far it is in the adoption cycle, but, um, who are the some of the brands that you see as being, you know, leaders in this space? Are there names that you see popping up when, uh, you know, the, the, the latest Israeli WMS startup starts quoting who they're piloting with? Who's, who are the thought leaders in this space from your perspective? Sure. So from a tech standpoint, um, I think a company like, like Zebra uh, has, mm -hmm. has made a name for itself in the space. 
Uh, they, they make AMRs, uh, autonomous mobile robots, and uh, a bunch of other different kinds of, of warehouse tech uh, that's, that's mm -hmm. been seeing more adoption recently. Um, Berkshire Gray, which I, I believe I also mentioned earlier, uh, is, another, mm -hmm. is another big player. Um, you also see companies that haven't traditionally been in the space starting to move into it. Um, Honeywell is, is a company that comes to mind for me. Um, mm. that, that's kind of the company that inspired me to write that voice article. Um, they're, oh. they're doing a lot of really innovative things uh, in the warehouse space, uh, which is, it was surprising to me at first, um, because you know, in my mind, I, I picture them as, a, as an aerospace and defense company, but mm. you're really seeing the warehousing space become kind of attractive to companies in all sorts of industries. So Jack, thanks for, for that. That was really helpful for me. Um, let's talk about getting things into the warehouse and out of the, the warehouse to the, to the customer. Can you, um, I, I have to admit to being somewhat confused by all of the acronyms that are used, 3PL and all that sort of thing. Can you, um, untangle some of that and uh, how does how does stuff get in the warehouse and how does it leave and what are the what are the different approaches to organizing those logistics yeah uh, i mean it's a very very complex process with a lot of different players involved uh, you mentioned three pls uh that's one of them uh third party logistics provider is, is what that stands for um so a lot of times a company will enlist a 3pl to to help them move goods from one place to the other um, so a lot of times the methods that a 3PL will use, uh, you've, you've got ground-based methods uh, via truck, via van. Uh, those are very popular, um, as well as rail and air. But, you know, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is um, sort of this emphasis on a hub-and-spoke model, um, where you'll have sort of these distribution centers spread out around the country. Those are your hubs. And then from there, the spokes are sort of the individual stores or the individual customers themselves. So rather than having, you know, one kind of major facility in, say, Seattle, uh, a company will have facilities in Seattle and Phoenix and New York, and each of those facilities will serve its own market. Uh, so there's sort of this emphasis on positioning the inventory as close to the consumer as possible um, so that you don't have to move the goods as far. That's really interesting. As a computer scientist, it makes me think about caching mechanisms that are used in computers. And it seems like uh, you, know, you were talking about uh, warehouse management systems. I think about an operating system. And uh... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's very interesting how these uh, ideas get uh, transplanted. So 3PL, third-party logistics, 
what what does that really mean and what you know what are the alternatives uh, is is there a 4pl a, a, a 2pl or help us there's no 4pl unfortunately but um the, <laughs> the alternative would really be just for a company to kind of handle those things itself um a lot of times that's not really an option for a company uh, especially a company that's young or that's trying to grow um but for some of the more established players um for example you've got amazon um, they're not going to use the 3PL. They've got their entire nationwide fulfillment network. Uh, they've got fulfillment by Amazon, which lets other retailers uh, use their fulfillment network. So they're they're almost in a way functioning as a 3PL themselves. Um, so I think it really depends on sort of the stage that you're at in the business. And so it seems like Amazon are the leader, the thought leader, uh, the implementation leader in this space. They've taken something that was a nightmare for most companies and turned it into a core competence and uh, an advantage. W- what are some of the, the cool things that you see uh, Amazon doing in this area? Yeah, Amazon, They actually, uh, just this week, they, they announced a new initiative. Uh, it's called Buy With Prime. Uh, and this essentially is allowing retailers to offer products on their e-commerce websites and be able to offer their customers prime benefits, meaning uh, free delivery, uh, next day delivery, and free returns and things like that. Um, so whereas uh, fulfillment by Amazon was kind of a way for companies to just store their inventory with Amazon, not necessarily get the benefits of prime, uh, now you have a way for these customer or these companies to to make themselves more attractive to customers that, that use Amazon. Um, they'll, they'll be able to include a little prime widget on their websites uh, that tells people which, uh, which products are eligible. Um, and so I think that's kind of a, a big deal. Um, you know, Amazon is really sort of relinquishing a little bit of the control that it likes to have over its consumers. Um, you know, they've, they've done a ton of interesting things in the logistics space over the years. Um, I think really just the the sheer size of their network is, is astounding to me. Um, they've got hundreds of facilities across the country, and you know some of those are 1 million square feet, 2 million square feet. They're, they're massive. Um, and it, it's just, um, it's really incredible. Um, and at the same time, though, uh, you've got these massive facilities, but you've also got uh, these smaller stores that Amazon is beginning to, to open. Uh, you know, they're traditionally just an online retailer, but They've actually opened brick and mortar stores uh, to to kind of try to position their inventory, as I was talking about before, uh, closer to their customers. Um, so providing them a, a physical place that they can go to to access items. And full disclosure, I should say that uh, Williot, the uh, my day job and the sponsor of this podcast, is uh, Amazon's an investor in our our company, but that hasn't influenced all of the. Uh, admiring superlatives <laughs> I've used here. Um, okay, that's great. So, you know, COVID has uh, trained us to uh, um, stay away from the shops, order online. And so last mile delivery is becoming a lot more uh, important. Um, uh, what are the trends that you see uh, in last mile, Jack? Yeah, I think one thing that you're seeing a lot of is consolidation. And I don't mean in the sense of uh, companies merging or, or things like that. Uh, I mean more in the sense of consolidating orders together to to reduce the number of trips that, that a last mile delivery driver has to make. 
because, you know, one of the big problems facing the last mile right now is, is sustainability. Um, just the, the sheer volume of, of products that are being shipped. Uh, you've got e-commerce as well, which is playing into that. Uh, it's, it's creating many, many more miles traveled over the last mile. Uh, so companies are trying to look at ways to, to reduce those miles. Um, you've got things like um, uh, split cart, for example. Uh, this is the idea that uh, you can bundle orders from different retailers uh, and have them arrive at the same time at the same place. Uh, so that, that kind of eliminates uh, the need for multiple trips. You're also seeing retailers do things like um, looking at the last mile as the first mile of returns. Um, Meaning that, you know, as, as these companies make deliveries, um, they'll also go out and pick up products that are, that are out for returns, um, kind of uh, reducing the number of trips in that way as well. That's really cool. Uh, I mean, because that's kind of the, 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 the one, you know, one of the disadvantages that would stop you um, placing an order online is the whole returns process and so forth. So, um, um, anything else in sustainability that you see? I, I, I do worry about that as a bit of a tree hugger myself. Um, feel a little bit guilty as I order things online and I feel like I'm just creating more of, uh, uh, you know, more trips, uh, more, uh, CO2 emissions from all these uh, vehicles, more packaging, um, to what degree do you see that as a problem? And uh, is, has anyone got any answers to that? Yeah, um, I, I mean, it is, it's a big problem. Uh, the transportation industry, I'm not sure the exact number, but it's responsible for a, a huge portion of U.S. emissions. Um, so it is a big problem. Uh, and you've, you've also got the problem of, you know, wasted products or products ending up in landfills, things like that. Um, so I, I do think, you know, continuing with the topic of returns, that retailers are trying to make it easier for customers to return items and then also easier for them to, to repurpose those items and resell them uh, instead of having them end up in landfills. Uh, so they're doing that in, in a few different ways. Uh, one of them is, is offering to go to the customer to actually make the return uh, rather than having them go into the store and drop off the product. Uh, so you're seeing more of an emphasis on, on making that process as easy as possible for, for the customer. Uh, you're even seeing uh, some retailers allowing customers to leave objects curbside. Um, so they're, they're really uh, making that process uh, a lot easier. Um, and then, you know, once those products are back in inventory, uh, you also see a lot of retailers kind of dedicate an entire system to returns. Uh, it's called an RMS or returns management system, uh, similar to a WMS, but specifically for products that have been sent back to the retailer. Um, so there's, there's a big push to, to repurpose those items and get them resold. Uh, rather than have them end up in landfills, which for a long time has kind of been the case with returns. Uh, you know, the majority of them have ended up in landfills uh, up until recently. That's a really cool thing. I, I, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, and it sort of fits into this move towards circularity. Maybe people will, maybe they'll extend the definition of returns and start selling better quality products that people can actually give back when they've finished with them. And you, I mean, you see a lot of um, systems around uh, buy, you know, like buy nothing and so forth where people are sharing stuff. So it seems like there's an opportunity for brands to start to participate in that, especially as they have the logistics capability that can 
move these things around and uh, help people get value from what they're doing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that idea of circularity uh, because um, you know there, it's not just uh, it's not just products that are being returned. It's also the packaging. Um, you, you see a lot of companies start started taking on uh, this this reusable packaging. Uh, where you know the customer can receive the item and then return the packaging back to the retailer. Uh, there are two companies that come to mind uh, that I've seen do this: uh, Lush and Zara. They're both um, one is an apparel retailer, the other sells um, you know like fragrances and, and bath, uh, bath and body mm-hmm. items. Um, but those companies will offer reusable packaging. They'll they'll sell it to the customer, and then the customer has the option to to bring that back to the store uh, to be used to package another product. Uh, so you're seeing things like that as well. Yeah, I, I mean, we've been experimenting with these uh, meal, uh, ready-made meal or, or buying the ingredients. And I love it, apart from the fact that we just get this mass of packaging that uh, uh, you, you have to throw away. And, and, you know, it's basically a reason why we're not doing using those services uh, more. Um, and, you know, as a company, uh, Williot's, I mean, that's basically our primary focus now is reusable transport items. And I think it's it's not just about being uh, virtuous, but um, we supply chains are really tight. And so getting hold of the materials to make disposable packaging is becoming increasingly difficult and increasingly expensive. So it, it just makes economic sense to recycle that so you don't suddenly find oh i can't ship things because i don't have the the materials if you can now we have technology we can manage these pools uh, of reusable transport items so much better um so i it's actually one of the things that makes me optimistic uh, as i go into into work in the morning so i hope you found that discussion with jack useful and educational as part of our uh, warm-up process we talk to our guests a bit about how they got their job, uh, what they do, and their taste in music. So take a listen to how Jack got to where he is and a little bit about the music that inspires him. So Jack, you seem to have a very interesting job. You're covering all these trends that are central to the way business is done uh, now with uh, logistics and uh, warehousing and so forth. How did you get to do the job that you do and what is the job that you do sure it's a great question so um, i write for freight waves uh, which is a publication focusing on the supply chain logistics freight and uh, pretty much everything in that realm Uh, within freight waves i also write for modern shipper which is sort of uh, covering the endpoints of the supply chain so last mile delivery uh, warehousing and distribution things like that Um, i came here actually right after I graduated college uh, about a year ago. Um, about a month after that, I was, I was at Freight Waves. Uh, and, you know, coming in here, I, I didn't really know much at all about the supply chain industry, but uh, it's, it's been a really great experience so far. Uh, I've learned a lot. Um, and I think that my perspective as kind of an outsider has, has almost helped me a little bit um, because I'm able to sort of pick up on the things that are, that are interesting to people who aren't familiar with the industry. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been a journey, but yeah, I'm loving it so far. How do you, uh, how did you get your first taste of journalism? Um, it, w- it was before you graduated, right? Uh, yeah. So I, I actually went to school, uh, for journalism. Uh, I went to uh, Northwestern university. It's outside Chicago. 
Um, so I, I studied for four years there. Um, and it, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, most of the people who work for freight waves, they're, they're coming from within the supply chain industry or from within the logistics industry. Um, so, so my background is, is actually in writing. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of how I ended up here. Excellent. Very good. Well, as you know, we have this uh, musical tradition on the show, uh, asking our guests about three songs that mean something to them. But what, what's your first choice? Yeah, very excited for this segment. Uh, first choice, uh, I've got Doctor My Eyes by Jackson Brown. Uh, it's oh, an, a bit of an older song, but um, you know, growing up, uh, my, my parents used to play that whole album on repeat pretty much any time I got in the car and went anywhere. Um, so that song is, is really kind of ingrained into my, into my memory, and it's, it's always going to have a special place in my heart. That's awesome. And not what I was expecting from someone of your era. Um, so uh, yeah, well really. done. Uh, surprise. <laughs> Definitely extra points for surprising us. Uh, what's number two? All right. Second one I've got. Um, it's called Under the Milky Way by the Church. Um, maybe not as uh, familiar of a choice. But uh, it's the song that plays during the favorite scene, during my favorite scene of my favorite movie. Uh, it's called Donnie Darko. Um, so that song has has always kind of just stuck with me um, as as sort of the the audio representation of that moment. And what do you like about that movie? It's 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 pretty unconventional, isn't it? Ah, uh, so you know it. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a very unconventional movie. I I just like that the way the way the story is told. It's just very interesting. It's it's unconventional. Uh, it makes you think a lot, and it's very whimsical. I'm just a big fan of that. All right. Hopefully people will check it out. It's definitely worth a view. And uh, number three. Yes. Number three, uh, I've got uh, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Um, I, it's really just a beautiful song. Um, that album is, is one of the very first albums I got on vinyl. Uh, I have a small collection that I started. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a little bit cliche maybe but the uh, the two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl line uh it gets me every time uh, i just love that song fantastic yeah i've been listening to a podcast called rock on tours uh which has uh, a couple of the um uh the bassist and a guitarist who are now playing in one of the instantiations of what's left of uh, pink floyd so i've found myself going back listening to uh, to their stuff as well it's uh, it still holds up very good well, uh, Jack, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. Very good. Well, Jack, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you've certainly taught me a lot. So thanks for schooling us. And uh, I, I hope uh, we get a, an opportunity to, to do this uh, again in the future. And you can uh, keep us up to date on what's uh, happening in uh, warehousing, logistics, and, and last mile. And uh, uh, we've heard a lot from you, and so I hope people will continue to follow you. And uh, you, you have a podcast as well, right? I don't. I I should make one though. <laughs> I I am looking at starting a new uh, a new video series though for Modern Shipper. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, appreciate the uh, the preview of that, and we'll uh, we'll look out for it and continue reading uh, what you write on. Uh, uh, a modern shipper and freight wife. So thanks again, Jack. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Thanks for having me on. All right, that wraps up uh, another week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jack and some of those ideas inspired you and helped you a bit in terms of getting your head around 
how these industries operate. We really appreciate your following us, staying to the end. And as you're obviously a committed listener, please do rate us, rank us, and share what we do with your friends and colleagues. So uh, until next time, stay safe and be happy. All the best. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.